0: All right, let's get going. Let's get cracking. All right, happy Thursday afternoon. Let's get cracking. So uh, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisavo. And as we have every week, it is a loaded Parsha. And we will just start and we'll see how far how far we get. So our Parsha begins with a letter Vav. Whenever you have a letter Vav in the beginning of a word or beginning of a Parsha, the word Vav before a word means end. So it's a continuation of the previous week's parsha, which interestingly ends with the uh, mitzvah of wiping out a Amalek which people who don't understand that mitzvah um, which is many of us it's uh, counterintuitive because every year we have a mitzvah to remember to wipe out a Amalek and never remember them again but then the next year you give us the mitzvah again so what's happening right uh, what's, uh, what's the whole idea so it, in, a, in a very important way the Torah is really letting us know that there are certain elements that are in existence in our own lives or with with us as a people, I thought this takes 60 seconds to go off. Ah, That's if you push off, not auto. Okay, there you go. So um, when something happens to us, whether it's traumatic, whether it's an important event, you can't ignore that it's there. It's there. Amalek is there. Amalek, as we know, the mitzvah to wipe them out is not nowadays them as people. We're not going to be walking over to somebody and, and killing them. Um, beautiful background music. We uh, you try our best. Um, but uh, Amalek is there really to remove us from God. They say the gematria, the numerical value of Amalek, is suffix, is doubt. Amalek is there to implant doubt in our minds About Hashem, about God Anything that comes up in our lives That creates this question of Where's God, what's happening That is that little bit of Amalek Inside of each and every one of us That is a reality, that's an existence That's something that's going to As we grow through life There's always going to be more that comes about And I want to get a little deeper with this concept Okay, We're not going to start with the Parsha yet I want to get a little bit deeper with this concept How often in our own lives do we sense growth, and then all of a sudden, like God throws something at us, that's like, what, what now? Like now, like you got it. Like now, you got to do this. Like the the game's over. I, I I felt like I had this down, Pat, and then as soon as we thought we were doing something so good, and we were in such a good place, it just there, there's a difficulty that gets thrown in, and it's like. What is happening? So, I'm not going to share something that's so practical. But I'm going to share something which is real. And it's just good to know. It's good to keep in our back pockets. And that's as follows. There are certain things in life that we are (coughs) unconscious about. Okay? It's called... Unconscious incompetence. I'm unconscious about being incompetent in this area. I don't even know about it. I'm completely unaware. I don't know what exists. It's part of being a human being. There are many things that we don't, that I know. There are things that exist in the world I never heard of. What are they? I don't know. I'm unconscious to my incompetence in it. Now, if you want to talk to me about uh, NASA, and you wanna talk to me about astrology, astronomy, and all things that go on, I am consciously incompetent. I'm conscious about my incompetence. I know it exists, so I'm conscious about it, and I'm conscious that I'm incompetent. But there are certain things that we are also unconsciously incompetent about, okay? Now this unconscious incompetence happens daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes weekly, sometimes annually in our personal lives. And here's how it works. The way Hashem made the world is there's balance in order to allow each and every one of us to keep our decision-making abilities, right from wrong, in check. For example, on a communal national Jewish level, the sages teach us that as soon as God took away prophecy, black magic, which really existed, is now gone from the world. There's no such thing as real magic anymore. Anything that you see is gonna be some sort of trick of the brain, some sort of sleight of hand, but real impure black magic really did exist in the time of prophecy and people had this knowledge of how to tap in to the metaphysical using forces of impurity And there was that ability But the sages say As soon as prophecy was gone And this high level connection of purity Was lost The world totally lost the impurity Because otherwise it would be an unfair It would be imbalanced There's always a balance There's always a balance So let's get personal with this In my personal life There's things Like we said It doesn't exist to me But then I start developing my sensitivity in purity. See, here's what happens, ready for this? I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm now more spiritually aware. Well, what's gonna happen automatically with that is, I'm going to now become aware and be introduced to difficulties that were there all along but I didn't even see it. it it's been there. It, it, but it never impacted me. It, might, it never even bothered me. And I, I, I wasn't... Because, but now that I'm more spiritually sensitive, I'm more sensitive to the flip side as well. It's a very deep concept. Okay? Which means that very often when we think we're hitting a rut spiritually because it's just getting hard and I'm not sure about my relationship with Hashem, what in truth is really happening is i 'm more aware than I ever was before it 's not a rut it 's not God trying to get me back it's there 's something that 's now in a new existence, a new reality that 's keeping me balanced and because i'm because i 've grown and developed spiritually there 's going to be this flip side to keep me honest and to keep me as as uh, a rabbitson young Rice's book right uh, Life is a test to keep that test going that 's the beauty and challenge of life. We're not, only, if you only have one side and it's just going to go, it's like Yaakov Avito, our forefather Jacob, said, oh, my kids are all grown up. They're doing the thing. And he wanted to, Yaakov, Yaakov wanted to rest. And, then, and God said, no, no, no. Now there's a new stage in your life. So there's going to be something else that we're going to be, we're going to be introduced to. Yeah, go ahead. What's the difference between a Moloch and the Yetzal? Not necessarily much. Except... Except that the Yetzirahara, the Gemara tells us, has four jobs. The Yitzhara is a koach, it's a power. Right? There's this power this, that, that Hashem put into the world. Uh, the Gemara states that the Yetzirahara is also the angel of death, his job is also to be the prosecutor up in heaven, and he's the angel of Asaph. He's got those four jobs, which interestingly is needs to be like that because it's the very power that's giving us the test that God calls forth to testify about the sin. Because if the Yitzhakara can't testify about the sin, so then we're off the hook. If he, if he put too much power in there that Tendler can't overcome him, He's going to come prosecute. God's going to look at him and be like, hey, but but you did that. And the Yitzhahara, in order to prosecute us, has to be able to say, yeah, but Tender was stronger than me. And he still didn't do it. And if he can't do that, so that removes accountability on our end. The very force that's creating a possible sin has to be the one that comes and testifies whether that is a legitimate uh, action that we should be held uh, accountable for. Otherwise, if it was unfair for him to do it, so we're off, the, we're off the hook with that. Okay, but be it as it may, so we're, we're wrapping up Amalek and we're coming into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And I think uh, without getting too uh, too involved in this in a, very, in a very important way, it's letting us know that once you enter the land of Israel, there's a different reality. There's a reality of leaving Amalek, leaving those things behind and the land of Israel itself, as we know, has a personality. We're in a Shemitah year right now. The Torah tells us if the Jewish people uh, don't treat the land appropriately, so then the land's going to spit us out. That's one of the, unfortunately, one of the, um, I shouldn't even say unfortunately, but it's in the Torah. But one of the most difficult things in this week's parsha, as we read through it, is the tochacha, is the rebuke. We start; we're going to start out our parsha with what happens when you do follow in the in the ways of Hashem and the blessings that will come to a person, and then unfortunately. If we, don't follow in, uh, if, we, if we don't follow in the ways of Hashem. Now, let's focus on that phrase for a moment. To follow in the ways of God and to not follow in the ways of God. So as we go through our Parsha, okay, well, God willing, we'll get back if to, to, to tear it apart uh, verse by verse like we usually do. But as we go through our Parsha, we're going to notice... That in chapter 27, so in the second chapter of our Parsha, it goes through a number of curses that a Jew is responsible for. And it says, and it begins in chapter 27, Perech of Zion, Pasuk tes Vav. Okay, verse 15. It lists 11 curses. 11 curses that come to a person. Listen to this. And now, this is interestingly, right after we're instructed. To uh, look up to the heavens and notice that uh, God made everything for uh, for the goodness of the Jewish people. And what's our responsibility? What does it mean to be a Jew? What is that? With to follow the ways of God. Lishmar chukov follows decrees, mitzvos his commands, mishpatov and his judgments. That's the financial obligations. V'lishmo avikolo listen to his voice. Leo slow la amsegula to be a amsegula to be a a um, a special people. Right, to be a a nation of Segula, a nation where there's blessing. Okay. Now, what happened was, and now in chapter 27, verse 15, the Levian proclaim in a cursed action, and everybody responds, "Amen." So, without listing all 11, what does it say? It's fascinating, it says, Cursed is a person who worships an idol in private. Okay. Cursed is a person who curses his mom and dad. They all say, "Amen." Cursed is a person who moves his friend's fence. Steals property, and everybody says, Amen. Cursed is somebody who purposely gives bad advice, Amen. Cursed is somebody who violates his sister, Amen. Cursed is somebody who strikes his fellow behind their back, meaning lush and Hara, Amen. Right? And speaking of well, a whole list, etc., etc. Now, whenever we read Parshish Kisavo, it's fascinating. You know, there's 613 commandments 365 positive, 248 Now, well, What's with these 11? Apparently there's like a focus on like There's 11 things Where when we stood at When we stood on these mountains There was curses And everybody says Says amen. There's plenty of other things People could do wrong Okay That's question number one Question number two Is On the flip side of the curse The Torah tells us You got a blessing So listen to this Blessed is a person Who doesn't worship idols in private Amen. Blessed is a person who doesn't violate his sister. Amen. Blessed is a person who gives good advice. Amen. Okay, I'm going to sound like my father, to the Abraha, for a minute. Okay, I was learning with my father, and one of the other students of the yeshiva, uh, one of my classmates, when we were in 12th grade, comes by, and my father had told him, if he doesn't show up to chakras on time, he's in trouble, all right? There's going to be trouble. He better be on the lookout. So this guy starts coming on time to shabbos. Yeah, Rabbi Tendler says, yeah, "Fine." So He's coming on time for two weeks. I'm sitting there learning my father one morning, and this uh, this guy walks by. And my father, you know, my father looks up. He's like, "Oh, how you doing?" He's like, "Good." He's like, "Rebbe, you never said you never told me that you appreciate uh, that I've been coming on time." I'm, I'm looking for positive <laughs> feedback. You have to know your kids. You have to know your boys. You have to know your, your students. Some kids do need that feedback. This kid uh, is a friend of mine. He's, a, he's a, t- a tough cracker. Yeah. So my father looks at him and he says, you're in 12th grade. In our yeshiva, we don't give lollipops for being normal. Okay? That's what he tells me. He says, in our yeshiva, we don't give lollipops for being normal. You're in 12th grade. You're expected to show up to dock. That's the expectation You don't need me To come over to you And tell you That's like There's other times I'll give you a lollipop right? You do something above a man. So Bring this into our parasha Blessed is a person Who doesn't do all these things Blessed is a person Who doesn't speak Lashon hara. Right So we have, two fa- we have two Two interesting questions First of all What's with these 11 In particular And second of all Why are you blessed If you don't do this What's the deal Sir so Mordechai Druk in his safer we have it here on the shelf called Darish Mordechai, he gives a, a he answers both these questions with one very important observation. And he says like this: he says that the common denominator between these eleven and anything else is all these things are done privately. It's hush, hush. Nobody knows I spoke Lashon Hara. Nobody knows when uh, you could even have illegal, you know, uh, forbidden somebody violates a sister. It's an embarrassing thing. Everybody's quiet about the whole thing. Uh, nobody knows if I, if I gave bad advice. Who's ever going to find out about that? Who's going to know if I uh, cursed out my mom and dad? I did under my breath. They didn't even hear me. <coughs> All these things are done privately. Okay? So, on the outside, I'm walking around. I got a huge yarmulke on my head. I got a shape down to my toes. I have, I have a strimal... I've got a, you know, and I'm walking around and I'm all, and I'm coming, I'm coming to pray, I'm going to shul, I'm studying Torah the whole day, my beard's down to who knows where. But I go home and I'm serving idols in private. Okay? That, that's what's happening over here in our parsha. On the outside, I look very good and I come to shul and I'm shuffling with kavona, yeah, yeah, Right? As the, the chassam sofer wants somebody, this is tangentially, he wants saw somebody in shul, like, you know, shaking like a luluf. He's going to (laughs) luluf and he walks over to him after davening. he says, a Jew is supposed to shake inside when they pray, not on the outside. Hmm. It's supposed to be emotions inside. Outside you don't need to be like, (laughs) you know, rocking back and forth. Yeah, go ahead. Just a comment. Yeah. Do you think this is one of the reasons some of our kids go off the dara? It could be. It could be. That's what I find. Yeah. It's it's very possible. It's very possible. You, torture, you keep and right. you're a jerk. Right, right. right. The, exactly. the the um yeah. at times at times yes. <laughs> Certainly it's a, it's a theme that's there and it's a very it's a very appropriate theme because when Rabbi Jacobson spoke here on Sunday at four o'clock, he made an observation which is so true. And what he said is very often you find that the kids who struggle the most with the Judaism are the most sensitive ones. They're the ones who are the deepest and most sensitive because they vomit when they when they see ex- only things that are external and that's that's a very true reality um, it's a very true reality that certainly uh, certainly exists okay so we know now I'm it's very possible I'm fooling myself this is the constant struggle we're going through in life hopefully I'm not in some ways maybe I am like sometimes I'm not I don't know, but this is obviously, we know to be only on the external and then behind closed doors to be a monster or even to move somebody's fence and to do a little bit of shtick to make another dollar is not what a Jew's about. That's not, that's not what it's all about. At the same time though, a person who is righteous through and through, that is worthy of tremendous bracha. You understand? Our second question was, are you going to get a lollipop for being normal? The answer is, Hashem knows, the Torah knows, there is a Yetzirah, there is a force in constant of, that's constantly there that's trying to stop me. And therefore, yes, if a person is just good, just a good person, doesn't matter the outside, doesn't matter, I'm just I'm trying to do the right thing, leave me alone. Leave me alone means stop judging me. But me and God. To be what we call in Gemara my inside and outside are in lockstep with each other. I'm in a healthy place. I'm just good. That's worthy of tremendous blessing where the nation responds aming. Because as much as you want to say it's normal, it's not easy. Rav Shamshon Rafal Hirsch, Rav Hirsch, who was a Rav in, uh, you know, in, in Germany, is going back over 100 years, right? 150 years or so. In his times already, listen to this, a powerful line. Very powerful He was. He says that in his days He says we're reverse Moranos. He says the Moranos Walked around looking like Gentiles But they served Hashem privately In his times He says we walk around looking like Jews And we're Gentiles privately wow. Behind closed doors I'm doing whatever I want It doesn't matter what God wants me to do It doesn't matter I'm going to do this i going to do that, 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 that. Right So this is a, a very, th- this is just an overriding message of our Parser We're going st- we're, we're to be mentioning the blessings that, uh, that come to a person who does well, but at the same time, the curses that, that don't. So we answered both our questions. What were our questions? Why these 11 specifically? And we also wanted to know why are you getting lollipops for doing the right thing? And the answer is, these 11 notice that they're primarily done privately. And the Torah is teaching us that a Jew is expected to be a Jew both in private and public. Consistent, because it, don't just present yourself on. Now, the, 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 I don't want to get spend. I don't want to get too detailed because yes, there are different scenarios where we are expected to represent ourselves in certain ways, even even externally, right? But not only externally, obviously. And I once heard from Rabbi Eli Mansour, who's a Sephardic rabbi, incredible Talmud Chacham, in New York. He says also, beautiful, something I think about this all the time. He says, some people, I'll say it in Hebrew, and mm-hmm. some people, their panemius hasn't caught up to their chitzanius, and some people's chitzanius haven't caught up with their panemius. But as long as you're growing, you're fine. Which means, some people, their externals, what they look like, haven't caught up to their internals. <coughs> Internally, I'm more connected with Hashem than I look like. And some people, their internals, which are, could be very shallow, and they haven't caught up to their externals. They could be walking around with a big old, uh, looking all religious and looking all uh, fanatical, right? But inside, there's not much there. But if you're growing and you're, and you're dressing like that because you're to, you're striving to get there, that's okay too, as long as you know what you're doing. But you can't just be set in a in a specific way. You can't just be set in a specific way where like I want to look like this and that's what Judaism's about. No, it's not what it's about as, uh, at all. I uh, I once share with somebody in our shul who wanted to start, you know, I, my, my custom just because of my years in yeshiva and the way I was raised is during davening I wear a black hat. So somebody in shul came over to me and says, he says, uh, "You know, Rabbi, do you think I should start wearing a black hat?" And I said, "Honestly, it's just a style, but I can tell you, what matters more is what's in your head than what's on your head. It's not. Don't think that putting on a hat is going to is going to change anything about you. Now, if it's something that you want to start representing." Now you want to be, you know, it certainly is a certain look where you're connected to a yeshiva or whatever it is. Okay, so you know, it's a look, and if you want to connect yourself and make that part of your uniform, you're entitled to do that. People got different jobs and they change their uniforms and eh, that. But but you got to know what you got to know. What's what? You have to know what's a mitzvah, what's not a mitzvah, what's a halacha, what's not a halacha, what's a custom, what's a style, what's a thing. You have to know what's what, and then just strive your best. To uh, to come close to Hakadosh Baruch and this is the this is the really the uh, overriding theme of our parsha. Now, I want to I want to touch on something that, that Liz touched on, which is, is is this maybe why so many people uh, turn away from uh, from Yiddishkeit when they see maybe people aren't you know the the same inside and the outside. So I want to touch on that for a moment. And uh, introduce that idea with a story. And this is a uh, beautiful Hasidic story. We may have shared this, but it's worthwhile. I love this. It's a beautiful story about the, the Rebbe of Reb Zusha and the Rebbe of Reb Mailich. They were two brothers, two Rebbes. They lived in 18th century Poland. And one, thing, one something that a lot of tzaddikim used to do, it's, they would purposely go and they, it's called to prav they would act gullus. what does that mean? They were known in their hometowns and they would take the clothes on their back, a little bit of food and they would start to wander. And they would wander, they'd go from shtetl to shtetl, make sure they're somewhere for Shabbos and they would be beggars, they would act like beggars for a year, two years and then go back. And the reason why they did this was to work on their humility. It's a very humbling experience to be dependent on others. And they felt that it was crucial to work on their midos. This was something that some of the tzaddikim would do. They would seek to refine their character. And at the same time, they were very knowledgeable. They were they were big So to counterbalance, were you're gonna go throw yourself in a community and and, and take handouts. So it, the, the truth is, wherever they went, they would encourage their deprived brethren. They were big So they would show up to town and yes, maybe there was a local place where the homeless people would eat and they would eat there too in the uh, Jewish hostel, whatever it was. But at the same time, imagine sitting at a table with one of the biggest rabbis of the century, not even knowing who he is. And this guy's just sharing his encouragement and his Torah with you. And they were able to bring their Torah to so many people that wouldn't have been able to make it to them. So they were bringing their Torah to those who were deprived. It's a fascinating concept where it was like a win-win. The Jewish people got these great holy rabbis. Again, no pictures, no Facebook. Now you can't do this. You can't... Everybody knows who you are. You know, it is what it is. But nobody knew who they were. And they would bring... They would go out to the people. And at the same time, they were able to refine their own character through the humility that it came with. Okay. So... Um, they came to one town. Reb and Remailach, these two brothers, they came to one town. And they... For some reason, there was one beggar that that had it out for them. A pre-existing beggar, you know, and uh, this taking my Parnosa. taking my parnassa you know, he's taking my, uh, they're, they're tapping into my income. There's somebody else now who needs a dollar, you know. So for some reason, this beggar reported them to the local authorities and uh, the non-Jewish authorities and said, oh, these guys are up to no good. And they were thrown into prison for a night. All right. So they wake, they wake up in their prison cell, and Reb notices his brother, Rebelimelech crying. Reb notices Rebele crying. He says, why are you crying? Sir so Rebele points to a pail in the corner of the room. If anybody heard this story, you'll remember this, because it's a very unique story. He points to a pail in the corner of the room, and that was the toilet that the inmates all used. And he says, Jewish law forbids a person from davening around such a repulsive odor. It's going to be my first time since my bar mitzvah that I haven't had the opportunity to daven shacharis. I can't pray in the morning. So therefore, Rebbe Malach is crying. He wants to daven. He wants to connect to Hashem. And uh, this toilet is not allowing him. So Rebbe says, so why are you crying? He says, why, what are you upset? He says, what do you mean? Right, it's going to be my first morning without connecting to Hashem. Sir so your says, you're wrong. The same God who commanded you to pray each morning is commanding you to abstain from prayer when there's a toilet. So in this location, the way you're going to connect to Hashem is by not davening. And when Rebelli Melech heard this from his brother, this point of view, the story goes, the, the awareness of this toilet in the room, creating a new relationship for him who, with Hashem, brought him such joy that Rebeli Melech began to dance. He starts dancing. <laughs> Seven o'clock in the morning, 6 a.m., you know, and he starts dancing. And he grabs his brother, and these two brothers are dancing around together. You know, they're dancing, singing some Hasidisha song, you know, in, in, in the same cell that they were imprisoned throughout the night. And now they're just jumping up and down for joy about this new relationship that they have with Hashem. It looks a little crazy, but before they know it, all, and all the other inmates in this big cell, in this room, they see these two guys jumping up and down and dancing. Yeah, you ever see these guys, you know, they're on top of the van, you know? I'm like, hey, it's a party, we're in, all right? Before they know it, all these other prisoners, non-Jews, eh, everybody's dancing, they're learning, oh, yeah, 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 whatever, they're singing, but. So now there's a lot of noise. There's singing and dancing and jumping. So the prison warden hears the commotion. He comes into the he comes into the cell. He sees everybody dancing, and he says, "Stop! Stop! Nobody's listening to him. <coughs> Everybody's having too much fun. This is incredible. Yeah, the, this is incredible." So finally, he, the, this warden can't. He doesn't know what to do. Everybody's ignoring him. They're just uh, they're just you know too happy. So he pulls one of the prisoners out of the circle and he says he demands an explanation. So this. Pr- He's got no clue. He doesn't know what happened between these two brothers who started the whole thing. So he says, it's not my fault. It's really those two Jews, they started the circle. They started the dancing. He says, what happened? She says, I don't know. He says, but they, they were pointing to the toilet. They were pointing to the pail. And it's something about the pail that they discovered some new relationship. So they're dancing. So the prison warden says, fine, I'll teach them a lesson or two. Yeah, she says, I'll take that pail out of it Right, so he takes the pail He throws the pail out In the middle of the circle, Rabbi Turns to his brother, he says Rebelli Ali time for shakras Yeah, now it's time uh, Now it's time to die, right So What what happens, going back to your point What, what happens at times What happens at times is like this In our Parsha, we're going to have the, the blessings and the curses again We have the things done in private and being there through and through but right before we, men- we mentioned the blessings, and right before we mentioned the curses, um, it says in chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty-seven. You know why the curses come as a people, tachas, because asher lo as because you didn't serve Hashem, your God, besimcha meirov kol. You didn't serve Hashem with gladness from all that Hashem has done for you. It wasn't done. With energy, It wasn't done with excitement It wasn't done with a, uh, with a real connection With a real relationship Fine, so this sounds very fluffy And it's like, okay, you have to love Hashem You have to love mitzvahs We know these things And if you love mitzvahs Then our children are going to love mitzvahs And now other people And they're going to see the beauty That's all true But let, let's, get, let's get very e- Even outside of the uh, Nice idea why, why this is crucial So why is it like that? Why does it have to be that it's so, uh, you know, it, it's so important to have this simcha. So here's the idea. You can learn Torah, you could do mitzvahs. But you have to know why you're doing it. There has to be God in there. There has to be God in the Torah. There has to be God in the mitzvahs. Okay? There's a, there's a teaching of the sages in the name of Rabbi Akiva. Amar Rabbi, Allah, Rabbi, Allah, Rabbi, Rabbi Allah, Zuban, the son of Rabbi Allah the son of Rabbi Hanina, teaches us. Torah scholars marbim shalom ba'olam. They enhance peace in the world. Now, what does it mean they enhance peace in the world? It doesn't mean that Torah scholars are knocking around people's doors asking them if they're getting along with each other and then trying to bring shalom. Right? That's not what it's referring to. And if you look through any Gemara, you're going to find countless arguments amongst the sages, which seems to be that they're bringing machlokas, they're bringing disagreements to the world, as opposed to bringing peace. Except that if we understand this brysa in a very real way will realize something which is important and that is when do we argue when do we bring uh when is there stress when we're not satisfied that's the reality if there's no tranquility in a person's life i become uptight i become nervous I don't have clarity. When I'm not clear as to what's happening and I'm, I'm very agitated, so it spills over in the way that we deal with people. It's going to be difficult to communicate with people. It's difficult to, to talk to somebody. But somebody who has satisfaction in their life and has meaning and has purpose and has relationships, particularly a relationship with Hashem, which is the only absolute relationship that can ever exist, a relationship with a human is limited to physical or emotional. Which means... If I'm standing next to somebody in a bus stop, am I close to them? Physically. Emotionally, I didn't say boo. I don't know you. I can have a very good friend who lives across the country. Am I close to them? Physically, no. Emotionally, yeah. I could pick up a conversation like, like it had been 20 years and we could pick up, we've never left. We've been emotionally, we never separated, we've been emotionally together the whole time. But you, but you lost the physical side of things. Okay? The only relationship which has everything involved in it is Hashem. See, I could be very close with somebody and that person's now gone, whether they, they moved, whether they passed away. See, God is physically close to us. He, We are a part of God. God is in us. It's an emotional, it's physical. That's a relationship that you can... Try to go anywhere, you can't leave it. It's the only absolute, all-encompassing relationship. Everything else, I could be very close to somebody. If they're not around anymore, they're not around anymore. I could remain emotionally close. Absolutely. I could even be physically close with somebody I don't even like. But I'm not really close. Hashem, for all of us, is the only... Even though I'm dedicated to other relationships, it's the only absolute that's impossible... To ever separate myself from it So when you have somebody Let's now change the word Torah scholar To somebody who's connected to Hashem Because that's the purpose So now when I have somebody connected to Hashem And I have this overall relationship So now listen to this I have everything I'm connected to Hashem So I come home And My kid kicked a hole in the wall Imagine if I just found out I won the 1.6 billion dollar Powerball lottery. And I walk in and my kid kicked the hole in the wall. I'd be like, "Give him a new house. (laughs) Big deal. Right? Big deal. A relationship with Hashem, this altar, now again, I'm going to speak in a way I'm not there yet. I'm not here. But this is something to to understand on a deeper level what what this Bryce is telling us. When... (laughs) and bring shalom to the world because when you have something so meaningful you could get along with anybody doesn't matter how they're living it doesn't matter how they're acting if you walk into shul and you feel people are judging you by the way you look by the way you talk, by your background what that says about you is nothing what it says about that person is they don't have real meaning so what do they need to look for? Me I become the local, it, it's the, it's, you know, the of the wisest people are Israeli cab drivers. Uh-huh. There's a guy I know, he was, gets into the Israeli cab. <coughs> he's picked up from Shufersal, Shuf, uh, the uh, Israeli supermarket, called Schnucks in Yerushalayim, right? So uh, he gets in Israeli cab, Is he's gonna ride him. So the cab backs out of the spot, and as he's backing out, this car like, whoosh, like zooms behind him, going like, who knows how fast in a parking lot. And he, like, just, like, misses, like, the, back the cab, like, stops. And the guy's, like, he's, the guy stops his car, he jumps out, he starts cursing at the cab driver. And he's, like, yeah. And this cab driver's sitting there, he's smiling, he's taking it all in, you know, waits for the guy to finish, the guy moves on, fine. So he gets back in, and, and this uh, this friend of mine says, I don't know, he's, dude, you're a tzaddik. You're a tzaddik, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> this guy almost ruined your living says, your car is so what you do for a living. And like, I'm in the back. Like, you can't, the guy's driving like a lunatic. And then he gets out and starts screaming at you. So this cab driver, totally secular cab driver, says, it's the garbage truck rule. But He has a garbage truck rule. What's the garbage truck rule? People go around the whole day collecting garbage like a garbage truck. One house, garbage. Another house, garbage. Guy goes to work. Some guy, his boss doesn't treat him well. And then he goes to lunch and his sandwich burnt. And then he comes home and his wife is upset at him. And then his kids, say, and this guy, and this guy. At some point, you got to dump your garbage somewhere. Mm. Like a garbage truck. So he says, you know, this guy doesn't really not like me. Just sometimes they empty the garbage on you. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. You no? Know, what a mature, it's like a mature response. Like this guy, this guy's been around the block. This cab driver, right? The garbage truck, well, they don't really mean it. They're not... They're not uh, You know, as the, as the saying goes, m- mo- Most people are not out to hurt you. They're just in it for themselves. And it's very true. A lot of times when people hurt us, they don't... They're not trying to hurt me. They're just in it for... They can't see past their own nose. So they're, they're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to... They've got their, some, something going on in their own life that's, that's happening. And it's a reality. So let's get back to our Parsha. What does it mean tamid e and bring shalom to the world? When you're able to live a life, when you're connected to the a relationship that cannot change, and I'm tapped into that, I can get along with anybody. You don't need to judge the next person. You don't It doesn't matter because I've got Hashem with me. It doesn't matter, It doesn't. Nothing. You kick the hole in my wall. Fine. You kick the hole in my wall. I've got more than 1.6. I got the Lord. I got every economy uh, around the whole world tied up. He owns everything. He's the man. He manufactured everything. He put everything into place. So the Torah is telling us That we're loaded We're wealthy As long as we have a lifestyle That's priceless If I have a priceless lifestyle So then Of course Tamidei Chachamim Bring peace to the world Because this is how we bring blessing and peace Our Parsha states If you serve Hashem with joy and gladness Then you'll have blessing Otherwise you won't That's going back to what Liz mentioned earlier And that is you have if, if if Judaism is just something that's external, it doesn't have meaning there's nothing it doesn't change me in any way it's a It's just something I do because uh, I look good in the community or because i I'm more comfortable in that way I'm in my comfort zone, whatever okay you might be end up doing the right thing and having some of the right actions. Do you think that's inspiring for for my friends, for my siblings, for my children, for my family, for anybody no. Because I don't have anything, I'm not bringing across that there's anything priceless that I'm holding on to. So if we don't give over that there's real value, I wouldn't say give over, forget giving over. If we don't live in a way where we try to personally understand, and again, this is is nice to understand, but it's gonna take work. You know, it it might be inspiring for like the next couple hours, but then we're gonna need to remind ourselves this over and over, right? So it's, we, we become easier people to get along with Our our joy in serving Hashem becomes becomes more real, as opposed to just being something external, which God forbid can lead to um, can lead to uh, curses if not handled if not uh, handled appropriately. Okay. Any questions on that? And let's we have five more minutes. Let's start going through the parsha. Here we go. That was the uh, that was the overview. Let's go verse by verse. Come on. Huh? Yeah. Unconscious incompetence. I mean, like it sounds stupid to say, but like what? unconscious there? incompetence so so i actually learned this actually learned this when i was working on my relationship with my wife okay and i'll tell you what i'll tell you something that that we learned there's four steps of competency most things start out as unconscious incompetence then i become aware of it so i become consciously incompetent Now that I'm consciously incompetent, I want to learn how to do it. So I become consciously competent. And then ultimately, when I do it well enough, I'll become unconsciously competent. Okay? So, because it's now a habit. It's just the way I talk to you. It's the way that we interact. But in order to get to a stage of doing something good... You have to go through that process. I didn't know. Now I do know it exists. I become consciously incompet- uh, consciously incompetent. So I'm going to try to do something about it, and therefore I'm becoming consciously competent. I'm good at it. I'm working on this, and I'm I'm doing it right. And then ultimately, if you do it well enough for long enough, you'll become unconsciously competent. It'll become a part of who we are. It's integrated, right, that's the word, it's, it's integrated to, into our uh, personality, it's integrated into the goodness of what we're able to give across, and this works with many, many uh, different areas of um, all sorts of relationships, but it, it's important because many times we don't even know what, let's say within a relationship, what that other person wants or needs. We don't know the person wants or needs. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, I, you know, I tell people if if my wife were to buy me flowers on air of Shabbos for Shabbos, that is she's unconsciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. She has no clue, no clue that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. No clue. I, I don't feel loved. I'm like, why are you wasting money on flowers? You're gonna be dead in a week, right? It's kind of like. Uh, they say this joke about a husband and wife and the wife says to the husband she says uh, why don't you ever buy me flowers he says well what's the point you know a little too logical he's like why don't I buy you something that just hangs around sits, sits by the table and is dead in a week she says you might also be like that I still want you in the house <laughs> you know what I mean and, 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 and she has a good point she has a good point she has a very good she has a very good point over there. you live in the moment you, you hop around with what you have around. things aren't around forever you have something beautiful you you enjoy it while you have it. It doesn't need to be here. It doesn't need to be here forever. It's a very valuable idea. Um, but uh, personally, I don't care for that. So in order to be fair to my friend, spouse, partner, sibling, I need to make them conscious about their incompetence. Otherwise, I'm just going to have like grievances. Right? Be like, oh, you're just buying me. How am I supposed to know? So I have to say, you know, honey, I really don't feel loved when you buy me flowers. I would appreciate more uh, something else. Whatever, appreciate words, going for a walk with you. Spending a little bit of time is what makes me feel cared for. Okay, so now what I've just done is allowed her to be consciously incompetent, not in a negative, yeah, but in a positive way. We're, we're growing. And then when we start doing these things, we become consciously competent, and then, right? But that's, it's it, you know, in every relationship, we gotta be fair with each other also, as opposed to just letting things uh, remain, um, Remain where they are Alright So Time's up But let's get a couple verses It says when he entered the land So all these myths we're about to mention Start only once we've entered into the land of Israel Alright And we've inherited it And we've divided it What does that mean? So if you look at a little bit of history in the prophets The way it worked was The land of Israel was not settled until 14 years after we entered Okay in the prophet's Yoshua it says that it took seven years to conquer the land And then try to get a, a nation to agree on anything, right? It took seven years to divide the land amongst the tribes All the negotiations that went on, who's going to get which part of land and where And, what's a, and which industry, who's going to be near the ports, who's going to be in the mountains Who's going to be this and who's going to be right That, that all took another seven years So it took 14 years until ultimately we were settled We were completely settled in the land Which answers an interesting trivia question When was the first Shemitah year? Mm-hmm. The first Shemitah year ever was 21 years after entering the land of Israel Because the Shemitah counting didn't begin until we were settled in the land Which took 14 years And then it was 7 years later that Shemitah first started So the first Shemitah year was not 7 years after entering, it was actually 21 years after entering the land of Israel So what are you going to do The first in the first uh, mitzvah? So we are introduced to the mitzvah of Bikurim When you have one of the first of these 7 special foods of fruits fra- of the Shiva Saminim, the seven species that Israel is special for. So the first fruits that grow from those species are going to be placed into a basket and they're going to be brought to the base Hamikdash, to the place that God has chosen the Shachin Shemosham to, to, um, to uh, dwell his name in that place. You bring it to Kohen, who exists in those days. As opposed to what? A dead Kohen? Kohen is not there? No. So interestingly the Gemara tells us an important message. Sometimes you might end up going to a Kohen. I'm 118 years old. I want to bring Bikurim. I remember the way that it used to be. I remember what was the great sages and Kohanim of yesteryear. right? I show up to the base of Mikdash of 118 years old. I walk in. Yeah, 15-year-old punk, cutting, standing there like, can I help you? Could you help me? you kidding me? You know how long I've been doing this? I've been doing this for, <laughs> you know, eight of your lifetimes. Right? Hey, help me. Yeah, I'm here to bring Bikurim. I'll take it. You'll take it? I used to bring Bikurim to the Chavetz Haim. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not a Bikurim to a kid. Sometimes, and that's a drastic, but sometimes you could have a situation where you have, it could be, A new leader It could be a rabbi It could be a mentor It could be All of a sudden We lose these people Because that's what happens It's part of life We haven't met anybody Who's lived forever And The next generation Is their turn And it's very hard For one generation To really um, To really Allow the next generation To step up When Moshe was going to pass away He asked for more time And Hashem tells Moshe It's time for Yeshua To take on the role And it's a longer story than that But ultimately Moshe said Okay, that's what it has to be Right, now it's it's time for Yeshua It's it's his turn to be the leader And and Moshe had to allow that He had to allow that that, uh, Reality to be So it says you bring the Bikurim to a Kohen that's there in those days Whoever it is, it could be three generations younger than me. It could be one generation younger than me. It could be, you know, not up to the standards that I always thought the, you know, the Kohen is going to look like that I bring my Bikurim to. You bring it to the Kohen that's there in those days. That's his position in the nation. You, 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 uh, and, and, you, you allow it to happen. I'm, sp- I'm speaking to you in front of Yashem, your God. That Hashem, our God, has sworn um, has sworn to us. Okay, so here's a fascinating idea. Why are we in the first fruit? Why is it the first fruit specifically? Because that's the one that we get the most enjoyment from. I work my land, I have a tomato uh, garden in my backyard, I just started growing tomatoes. Right, I plant, I got a vegetable patch, I've got a... And now it's starting to grow. The first ones that come out are the most naches. It's, nice, right? it's eh. Look at that. The hard work I've put over the past couple of months, you know, I've taken care took care of the weeds, kept the squirrels away, made sure nobody messed with this. Now it's the first ones that come out. We're instructed to take these first, particularly the first growths, to let us know that nothing happens naturally. The ones that actually... I think are my most nachas As they say Can you put up a mezuzah On a house If God didn't give you a house There are many mitzvahs You can't do Without God's previous blessings In your life Can I fulfill a a mitzvah Of walking to shul Or driving to shul If God didn't give me the ability To have healthy legs Or to purchase a car So we're supposed to be Take pride in what we're doing and choosing to do at the same time never forget that there's a there's a reality, a miraculous reality that's allowing us to do the good things that we're doing. And so too it is with the with the fruits, specifically with the first ones, which is, yes, we worked hard and got it, but I'm gonna put a string around it and notice that you know what? But who gave me the land to be able to even be able to plant? Who brought the rain? Who brought the sun? Who allowed all these things to happen? And very often, especially in this area, we're the first to forget. Because we did work so hard on it. And we're supposed to take pride in that work. And we were supposed to work it. And we're not saying we're nothing. But we do forget, specifically at these times, that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. And this is, going back to the theme before, the depths that Hashem wants us to have as Jews. Not to have an external religion, but to have a religion where we are... Thinking where we're aware with gratitude we're grateful to Hashem of all that of all that he's, uh, of all that he's uh, given us and the, the blessings that come our way and we're grateful for the opportunity to perform his service and to be uh, to be a member of these people okay so I think that's uh, long enough we'll hold it here for today we'll take any questions Thank you Thank you rabbi can I please get the link I will I'm going to try to log in I'm going to try to log in and, and get that link